<laughs> Pace to be a little shorter. Good morning. I'm Vicki. I am not one of the elders here. Um, our reading today is from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Learn the laws and obey them. Learn the laws and obey them. In the final days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia, fell, and Abraham Lincoln insisted on visiting the city. Now, although nobody knew that he was coming, immediately the freed slaves recognized him and they thronged around him. And according to an eyewitness at that time, he turned to the freed slaves and he spoke to them and he said, My poor friend, you are free. Free as the air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample on it because liberty is your birthright. And then Lincoln warned them. He gave them a warning not to abuse their newfound freedom, saying, Let the world see that you merit your freedom. Don't let your joy carry you into excesses. Learn the laws and obey them. Learn the laws and obey them. Friends, freedom doesn't mean no laws, no restrictions. Freedom means the right laws or the right restrictions. You know, society is telling us a lie today 
that there needs to be no limits, no laws, no constraints at all. That, that to be truly free it means that anything that would restrict my absolute self-agency, including the laws of nature, biology, logic, or morality, need to be abolished as evil and offensive. The only way to be truly free is to have no restraints, no laws. But friends, that's a lie. It's a lie, and a dangerous one at that, because freedom doesn't mean no laws. Freedom means the right laws. You know, suppose one day in the near future, I finally get to fulfill a dream of mine. I finally get to go skydiving. And imagine that you go with me. And so there we are together. We're in the plane at 10,000 feet, and I turn to you and everybody else on the plane, and I declare, you know what? I want to be truly free. No restrictions, no restraints. And so with a cry of freedom, I throw myself out of the plane without the restriction of a parachute. At that moment, you would be free to convene the first meeting of the pastoral search committee. Because when a skydiver chooses the constraints, the restrictions, the limitations of wearing a parachute, only then is the skydiver able to enjoy the freedom and exhilaration of skydiving. Because freedom doesn't mean no laws or restraints at all. Freedom means the right laws and restraints. And friends, Israel's just been liberated from their slavery in Egypt. And now, if she wishes to enjoy the full benefits of her newly found liberty, she should follow this advice. Don't let your joy carry you into excess. Learn the laws and obey them. Because freedom doesn't mean no laws at all. Freedom means the right laws. And so here at the foot of Mount Sinai, what's the Lord doing? He's giving His people the right laws. He's giving His people His law. Friends, the laws weren't meant to unnecessarily restrict or burden God's people. He gave the law for the purpose of their relationship with Him as free people. The law was given for the sake of relationship and for the sake of life. You know, just this year, author Jen Wilson released a book about the Ten Commandments, which Vicki just read for us. The, the book's titled, Ten Words to Live By. And in that book, Wilkins argues that Christianity is about relationship with God and with others. And because this statement is true, Christianity is also unapologetically about rules. Because rules show us how to live in these relationships. Rather than threaten relationship, rules enable it. Rather than threaten relationship, rules enable relationship. By His grace, God delivered His people from slavery in Egypt so that what? They can be in relationship with Him. And now the Lord gives them His law to enable that relationship. The law was given for the sake of relationship. And more than that, it was given for life. You know, the, the concept of biblical law has kind of gotten a bad rap today, hasn't it? You know, we talk about law, and it's come to be in the minds of many people the idea that there, there's some kind of words of death and doom. But friends, the biblical law, rightly understood and rightly applied, are not words of death. These are actually words of life. You know, in the, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, which literally means second or repeated law. In Deuteronomy, 
Israel is gathered on the border of the promised land and they're camped out there. And what is Moses doing? He's repeating or for a second time declaring to Israel the law that we find here in Exodus. So that they, as they enter into the land the Lord's promised to give them, they might remember it. And in Deuteronomy, when Moses recalls the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments, this is what he says to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live. Stop right there. That you may live. These are words meant to bring life. These are not words of death, but words meant to bring life. And when Moses wraps up his explanation in Deuteronomy 4.40, he says, Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all And notice these two statements here, the beginning and the end, parallel each other. The law is given to enhance Israel's life and prolong her days in the land. These words of the law are not given as burden, nor are they given as words of death. These are words of life because they're words meant to facilitate relationship. The relationship between God and His people. Because freedom doesn't mean no laws at all. Freedom means the right laws. And so here at the foot of Sinai, God is giving His people the right laws. Laws for relationship and laws for life. And just as the restraint of the parachute promotes the life and enjoyment of your flight, so the rules of soccer promote full participation in and enjoyment of the game. Just as the law of the recipe sets the temperature of and time in the oven to promote the full enjoyment of your rightly baked apple pie, Just as the constraints of sexual fidelity promote the full enjoyment and life of a marriage relationship. So the law is given to Israel for the sake of relationship and life. Because freedom doesn't mean no laws at all. Freedom means the right laws. Now now understanding this, doesn't that help make things a little bit clearer? Because I don't know about you, but I read through the Psalms. And I find these blowing oaths, these celebrations to the law in the Psalms. And I don't know if you've ever been confused by them, but, but I am. Because the law is regularly celebrated in Israel's worship as something to delight in. In fact, the, the Psalter opens Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, declares that the blessed person is one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never delighted in meditating on the state law and revised statutes of the state of Maine. And we see repeated throughout the Scriptures, and especially the Psalms, which were Israel's book of worship, a delight in the law of the Lord. Israel regularly delighted in the law of the Lord. In fact, we find Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. The whole thing is a song about delighting in the law of the Lord. And no less than eight times does the psalmist specifically say he delights in the law of the Lord. Such as, as you see, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And then verse 47, I find my delight in your commandments which I love. 
And then right at the end of the Psalm 147, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. How could Israel delight in the law of the Lord? Because, friends, these are not words of death. These are words of life. And the law was given for the purpose of relationship and for life. And because freedom does not mean no laws, freedom means the right laws, the laws, these law, God's law, was meant for relationship and life. And so it was that Israel delighted in the very law of the Lord. Now, some of you here might be quick to say, okay, Adam, well, this is all well and good. And it's all well and good for them. But what about for us today? Because everything that you've quoted so far is the Old Testament. We today aren't under the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. They had the law, but we don't delight in the law the same way they did. Do we? Do we? You know, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who was himself a part of Israel, but yet the foremost champion of God's grace, throughout his 13 letters in the New Testament, he celebrates and delights in not only grace, but the law. Listen to Romans 7.22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In fact, in Romans 7, I'm going to follow the argument there. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to. Paul's quoting for us the words of the psalmist and applying them to, applying them to himself and to us. Because Paul knows the grace of Jesus Christ and he understands himself as under the new covenant that Jesus initiated by his death and his resurrection. And yet Paul declares the law of God is his delight. And so the law should be our delight as well. In fact, earlier in Romans 7, Paul says, doesn't say, now that grace is here, the law is bad. Rather, in Romans 7.12, Paul says, so the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul, in the New Testament, declares the law is his delight, and it's not bad. It's actually good and holy and righteous. Friends, Paul is the apostle of grace. He delighted in God's law. He declares it to be holy, righteous, and good. So why then today does the law of God have such a bad rap? You see, the problem is we misunderstand and we misuse the law of God. The law was given to God's people as words of relationship and life, a delight where it's holy, righteous, and good. But the problem for them and for us is that none of us can perfectly keep the law. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, teaches this, citing the Ten Commandments themselves when he writes in James 2, verses 10 and 11, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. And his point is, if you fail at one point of the law, you're guilty of transgressing the law. So even a small break means the law has been broken. Friends, what we find is that we can't fulfill the law because all of us have broken the law at some point or another. As we sang this morning, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Our hands are powerless to fulfill the demands of the law perfectly. And for this reason, in Galatians 3.10, the Apostle Paul, quoting Leviticus 18, says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
For it's written, Cursed be anyone who doesn't abide by all of the things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul says we're under a curse if we don't abide by all the things in the book of the law and do them. And that's the problem. You see, the problem is that Israel's been delivered from slavery in Egypt. The law's been given at the foot of Mount Sinai, words of relationship and life. But the problem is no one can do them. The problem is that none were able to live up to those laws. So the words that were meant to bring blessing instead of brought curse, words that were meant to facilitate relationship have instead broken relationship. What was meant to bring life has brought instead death. And so back to Romans 7, Paul says the problem is not and has never been with the law itself. The law is good, holy, and righteous. The law is a delight. The problem is not the law. The problem is us. The problem is our sin. Despite the bad rap the law has received, the law was given to facilitate relationship and life. Friends, God's law has not failed us. Because of our sin nature, we have failed to keep God's law. And as a result, are under the curse of death. Words that were meant to bring us life have instead brought us death. Words that were meant to bring us blessing have instead brought us curse. And friends, what is God's answer? What is His answer to the predicament we find ourselves in? His answer is the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is lamenting here in Romans 7 our inability to keep the law. And so he finally asks in desperation at the end, and then he answers in verses 24 and 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, who will deliver us? Christ will. And how does God deliver us through Jesus Christ? How has He delivered us? Well, first, He's taken the curse. As we said, because we've not perfectly met the righteous requirement of the law, because we haven't obeyed, because we can't obey, we're under a curse, deserving punishment and death. But in His coming, Jesus took upon Himself the curse of our disobedience to the law. As Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Friends, Jesus came, He hung on a cross, bearing our curse, our sin and shame, redeeming us from that curse that we bore for not fulfilling the law, paying the penalty for our sin and disobedience by taking that curse. And so it is we celebrate when we sing the hymn in Christ alone, as Christ stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. You see, with Christ's death and victorious resurrection, the curse we were under has been broken, the debt's been paid in full, the penalty canceled. Friends, this is the gospel. Sin's curse has been broken by Jesus Christ. But friends, the gospel doesn't stop there. Because more than taking upon Himself the curse for our disobedience, in His coming, what did Christ do? He kept and obeyed the law because we couldn't. And so just as He takes our penalty, He offers us the reward for His obedience, the blessing for His obedience. God's answer to our failure to keep the law is not to abolish the law or cancel it, but to send Jesus to do what we were unable to do. Because after the arguments of Romans 7, Paul goes on to explain this in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. He says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, 
He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus Christ has done what we were unable to do. He fully kept the law because weakened by our sin nature, we couldn't do it. The good news is Jesus did it. He met the righteous requirements of the law. He fulfilled it for us. And now His reward, the blessing for His obedience, is credited to us by faith. Friends, Jesus Christ didn't come and do away with the law. He didn't come and cancel the big bad law. Because the law is not our enemy. The law is good. It's holy. It's righteous. It's a delight. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill and accomplish the law. This is what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Friends, Jesus never tells us the law is bad. The law is not an enemy to be defeated. In fact, until heaven and earth pass away, the law will not pass away. Jesus hasn't come to do away with the law. He's come to fulfill the law. Not to abolish it, but to accomplish it. Jesus perfectly kept the law. And His life and His ministry fulfill and accomplish God's intentions in the law. Jesus has come to do what we could not. And when He came and He taught, He also interpreted and made clear God's intention in giving the law to His people. You know, immediately after this saying, where He says, I've come to fulfill the law, Jesus goes on to quote two of the Ten Commandments and clarify God's purpose behind them. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. You've heard it said, uh, you've heard, it, heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And then later on in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Seriously, why did Jesus have to quote those two? Those were the two I thought I was doing a really good job keeping. I mean, I haven't killed anyone. You know, Jesus says it's good that you haven't killed anyone and that you've remained faithful. That's well and good. But in both cases, Jesus points us to the deeper purpose of the law. He doesn't just want external conformity to the law. He points to heart change. He points to the heart. Because, friends, the Lord's intention in giving the law wasn't to create rule followers. He wants hearts committed to, drawn close to Him. The law is meant to facilitate relationship. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah to all of us who are empty rule followers. In Isaiah 29, verse 13, he said, This people draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. He says, The intention of the law was never that you draw near with lips or externally. I want your heart near me. I want your heart to draw near. But the weakness of an external law is that it's never able to accomplish the purpose for which the Lord's given the law. Jesus confirms the law has never been about following impersonal rules, but about living in right relationship with a personal God and living in right relationship with others. Hearts that are drawn close. Rules 
enable those relationships. True freedom is not found in no rules, but in the right rules, and rules enable relationships. And the gospel, the good news, is that is why Christ has come. Christ came to bear the curse for our failure to obey the law. He came to obey the law for us and offer by faith His reward. And He's come to make possible that by His Spirit, now a right relationship might exist between us and God and us and one another. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of God's promise through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33, the Lord speaks and says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Not an external law, but a law written on hearts. Not mere external obedience to rules, but relationship. I will be their God. They will be my people. And the Lord further spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36.27. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus has not abolished the law. He's fulfilled it. And His Spirit within us makes it possible for the relationship that God desires with His people. He's taken the external law that we couldn't keep and couldn't change us, and He puts it in our hearts. Not mere external conformity to a law, but hearts drawn close to God, drawn close to others. For under the new covenant, we're not led by laws written on tablets of stone. We are led by the Spirit of God who is in our hearts and who writes the law on our hearts. And as such, Paul writes in Galatians 5.18, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Friends, we're not under an external law. Rather, the law is now internal. The law is not bad. It hasn't been abolished. But what was once an external law imposed from the outside, which we were powerless to obey, now is an internal law that flows from the Spirit within us. The law of the Lord was given for relationship and life. And the Gospel, the good news, is that the Spirit of God who lives within us makes that relationship possible. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And this is the Gospel. And this is our hope. And friends, you might have noticed here that we're clearly at the end of our time together, and we haven't even touched on the Ten Commandments themselves. So for the next hour of my sermon, as I prepared for this, I realized this concept was too important to neglect, and we need to talk about this before we look at the specific Ten Commandments themselves, which we will do next week. So what was going to be one week has become two weeks, and as I'm digging into it, it might become three. So we'll see. So next week, we're going to take up our relationship today, we who are under the Spirit, who are guided by the Spirit, not under the law, what is our relationship today to the Ten Commandments themselves? Because we need to discuss a huge problem when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Because I can say with confidence that every person inside of this room flagrantly, unrepentantly, and regularly disregards and violates the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And so we should probably sort that out. 
as well as sort out our relationship with the other nine, which we're not doing so well on either. But what is to be our relationship today as those who are led by the Spirit with the Ten Commandments and with the law that we find in the Old Testament? And that's going to be next week. But today, friends, let's understand that freedom does not mean no laws. It means the right laws. The law of God is not and never has been our enemy. They are words of life and relationship. Understand that what we were powerless to do, Christ has done, bearing the curse of our disobedience. He's maintained obedience, and He credits both to us. And now by faith, what is His becomes ours. We receive forgiveness and life in Him. And more than that, He's now given us His Spirit, who dwells within, who writes the law on our hearts, And the Spirit empowers us now and leads us to relationship and to life. Friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel. And the question is, do you know and have you received this good news as your own? Church, are you living the reality of this good news? And what hinders you from doing so today? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus Christ has come and He's done what we could not do. He's obeyed perfectly. He's taken the curse for our sin. And He's given us life. And You have given us now Your Spirit that we who cannot obey under our own strength might now be moved not by a law that is outside of us, but a law from within the Spirit at work who moves us, who leads us, who transforms us, and who makes us ever more like Jesus Christ. So lead us by Your Spirit. Glorify Your name. And may we love and serve You as You so desire. In Jesus' name, Amen.